Today's podcast delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when sending on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast. Now, time for the show. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan, Editor-in-Chief of Business Insider. Uh, David Scott is still on assignment. I can't believe I've given him this much uh, leave, uh, but he'll be back next week. Uh, in his stead, I'm joined by two great guests. First is Michael Judge, who's Head of Corporate Dealing at Overseas Transaction Service OFX. Michael, great to have you here and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. Uh, we're also joined by James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group uh, and a regular guest on the show. G'day, James. G'day, Paul. Big shoes to fill for David Scott. I, I don't think I want that role. That's right. And look, the, because we're looking at markets and economics on the show every week, this uh, time around, there are one or two things to talk about, aren't there? What happened this week? Uh, Scott Morrison did something on Something Tuesday. on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so I saw some headlines about the banks. Um, you know, something, something, terms. bank, yeah, something, 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 budget. Banks, levy, yeah. uh, balance sheet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we've got an ambitious agenda. We're going to talk about the new banking tax that's in the federal budget. We're going to uh, look through the overall budget. We'll look at the forecasts in there, which the Treasurer um, has used to say that there are better days ahead. Uh, we'll look at the housing affordability measures uh, and talk about whether they might work and the impact that this whole package might have on, on obviously, the property sector, so important, uh, not to us just as individuals, but also for the uh, entire structure of the economy, uh, not to put too lightly. We will look at the retail sector. Uh, we've had two months of negative growth in the sector, and it's looking really ugly. And if we have time at the end, we'll look quickly at the draw for the Rugby World Cup. Ireland have an absolute cracker of a draw. Um, not so much for... Uh, Anyone uh, else. Anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, banks and the budget. Okay, so um, banks are facing a new levy. Um, uh, basically, it'll be ca- calculated quarterly, 0.015 per quarter. Um, the way it'll be calculated, we're looking at certain liabilities that are on the, ba- uh, the balance sheet. So they won't look, for example, at uh, tier one capital and uh, insured uh, deposits. So that's our money. Um, but they will uh, look at and the liabilities, which are in, you know, institutionally uh, borrowed money. Um, they'll they'll uh, basically skim um, a little bit on a quarterly basis. It gives you a annual taxation rate of 0.06%. But because the banks are so huge, uh, that gives you uh, a, that will give the, improve the budget bottom line by $6.2 billion uh, over the forward estimates. James, is it fair? Uh, Look, uh, I'm not going to answer the question as to whether it's fair or not. I'm going to say that uh, Paul Keating once had a, uh, a quote, don't ever get between a state government and and a pot of gold or a bag of cash, whatever the paraphrase in this one. And I'm going to throw the similar thing out there with regards to the federal government in a little bit of trouble at the moment with regards to how much money they've got. Um, Here's a big pile of cash. Uh, Let's go and take take, uh, as much as we possibly can, fairly speaking, from it. Very similar to what happened with the mining tax a few years ago. um, With It was Kevin Rudd, I believe, that did that, just shortly before he got knifed, just... uh, you know, interesting historical anecdote there. But, okay, so, so here's an unpopular group of people that will not, will, that nobody will side with if we decide to give them a bit of a kicking. Um, and some people are speculating that it's actually a way of having the banks be your proxy tax, taxation collectors 
um, because there's there's no way that the banks will not be passing this through to the retail client or or eating it out of their margins and therefore taking it out of shareholders' interests. So it's it's you know a proxy tax to to, to, to individuals. Is so it I fair? Think- is it fair? Is a tax fair? You want to ask me if a tax is fair? Sure. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Do they have a spending problem? Do they have a revenue problem? That's a whole different conversation to have. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, there's obviously one consequence, right? So if the banks do decide to pass it on to the consumer, they can blame the treasurer, right? That's right. Um, and this is and this is a very easy thing. So and 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 just to this is the way that we see the banks' situation right now. It's the big four and Macquarie. And I think there were a lot of people that, that, that didn't mind seeing the Macquarie name thrown in with the Big Four on there as well because mm-hmm. the Big Four, uh, you know, they, they do copper kicking every now and then and Macquarie, you know, they included in that one. So it's like – and the Big Four banks and Macquarie, excellent. Yeah. No, I think a, a lot of people yeah. um, that, that would have thought that. The, um, there's only two situations that the banks are in. One, eat it out of their margins. Two, pass it on to, to, to the customers. So, look, either customers will leave – or the shareholder value will, will, will dissipate a bit. Michael, uh, what is your take on this? Uh, it's not too disaligned, I suppose, um, some of the rhetoric James just put forward there. I mean, um, again, scooting around whether it's fair or not and I suppose addressing who's ultimately going to be funding this $6.2 million uh, at the – sorry, billion dollars. Uh, at the end of the day, there is a large chunk of change sitting on the balance sheets of banks. Um, that needs to be mobilised to the broader society. Um, there are um, – a lot of, uh, I suppose, um, positive connotations uh, associated um, with this levy, which is being imposed. Um, I think, at the end of the day, um, this uh, this this uh, piece of capital, this substantial amount of money, um, it um, it is going to do some good to the broader economy. Um, I think. Um, I think if you are an employer of a bank, um, I think again if you are a stakeholder. Um, internally related to a bank yesterday and today, um, I think some of uh, some of your concerns would probably be justified. Um, some of your frustrations would be justified, and, and I think there is that broader sense today, with the exception of Westpac, which has been relatively on the front foot today. Mm. There is a little bit of scrambling still happening in uh, in uh, in the peripheral. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Westpac, Brian Hartzer, in a statement yesterday, described it as a stealth tax. Um, Great you know, comment. Clearly Great comment. furious. The chairman, Lindsay, Ma- Lindsay Maxted, absolutely apoplectic. Um, interestingly, the other banks, much more so- circumspect. Um, yeah. uh, you know, they said they're waiting to see the details. So one of the things that's absolutely fascinating in this is we really don't know. One, the banks only found out about this a couple of days ago. So, But it kicks in uh, in a few weeks' time. Yes. So, so they've uh, got a plan. And banks, and, and banks have very, I'm, I'm going to say, sloppy systems for the, for, for the best part. Um, not exactly knowing where things are, how much they've got at any one particular time, which is why it doesn't take them, you know, it should take theoretically a company that's got, you know, on the cutting edge of, of technology, it should take them 48 hours to be able to put their books together, but it doesn't actually take so much longer because they've got things all over the place, which is why I may have said it on the last podcast, a lot of banks don't actually know which loans are, are investment loans and which loans are owner-occupiers uh, loans, and that's that's another situation that they're coming to, to coming to terms with. So this tax, but you mentioned before, is it fair? Now, in honour of David Scott's absence, I'm probably going to say something that's maybe a little bit more cynical and a bit more, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more inflammatory on these ones. But the banks have been 
government supported government not backed but but if the, the banks physically can't fail because they're government guaranteed well there's been a bit of talk about this okay. there's an acknowledgement in the design of this policy that um, that the government has the banks back yep. um, and that they are too big to fail. Spot on. They are absolutely too big to fail. And so it's like, well, look, so if we're going to give you that guarantee, that support, you know what? We pay, actually we have some needs at the moment. Pay the ferryman. Mm. That's it. And, that, and and that's spot on. Of Okay, so, you know, we've we've been, you know, it's we've, we've been paying for your fire alarm and your fire service, which you've not needed to use, but you're still going to have to pay for that at some stage through there. Disregard the fact that they employ... Potentially, what? What's the anecdote? Over a hundred thousand people in Australia. Yeah. Don't worry about that and 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 all of those employment and, and everything. Look, you've got a big bag of cash. You're going to have to pay for it because we've been in effect theoretically supporting you since the GFC. I think your point, Michael. I think is really well made as well. That you know, this isn't just the budget is not just about repairing the surplus. This budget, you know, if it was just a big. Um, uh, you know, tax grab to uh, repair the balance sheet and not do anything else. That'd be one thing. But in this case, and um, we've got vast amounts of infrastructure spending, um, you know, the Western Sydney Airport costs about um, uh, $3 billion. We've got a new rail link between uh, Melbourne and Brisbane. So they're taking this money, but it's not just, you know, it's completely to repair the, the repair the budget bottom line. Um, they, they're hoping to see to use this to improve the overall functional functioning of the economy in the long term right now look the banks obviously occupy such an important position in in the economy um, and I think it's going to be really interesting as we see probably we'll see some polling over the next few weeks to see how it plays out um, and see how it's been received um, but we will have um, I'm pretty sure uh, an ongoing a conversation, shall we say, uh, between um, the banks and uh, and Treasury and the Prime Minister. Um, so, look, do you think that this is going to, Michael, uh, stimulate competition in the sector? I mean, this is obviously the goal of the the policy, probably constrain the bank's growth um, a little bit. Um, how do you think that might play out? Uh, yeah, I think it will definitely, even in the playing field, you, uh, both of you, um, James and Paul, you touched on just there earlier that uh, post-GFC, obviously, the banks were um, very well supported uh, from the coalition government at the time. Uh, that support for the Big Four and Macquarie, there's probably an argument in case um, throughout that 2008 window that that probably um, was um, counterproductive and, and, and in some respects disadvantaged to the regional banks, to the smaller players um, at that point in time. Obviously having the support of the coalition um, during... Um, during that downturn, obviously, we saw a lot of the regional and smaller players acquired by uh, the big four, as well as by Macquarie, um, some very well-documented uh, acquisitions throughout those windows. That's so right. I think now at the moment, you're almost seeing at the other end of that term where there is, um, you know, there are some revenue concerns within this budget. Um, and you've already touched on it already. What they are uh, certainly looking to do is just try to redisperse some of those uh, power plays within the banking sector. So I don't think this is necessarily something which is... Um, um, is unfair on the, the broader industry. I think, um, again, I, I touched on the fact that the big four will probably have some um, have some key frustrations over what's kind of been taken out of their um, out of their control. Um, but at the same time, um, it is a, com a competitive marketplace. It's certainly going to help the consumer. Um, in knowing that there's going to be a distinct competitive advantage now for the smaller players in the market. Um, and if uh, the big four and Macquarie do start getting competitive in regards to how they're going to be passing on these costs, should they not simply uh, absorb it on their own balance sheets, 
um, then that's just going to improve the uh, the broader efficiencies, and and you should, uh, I suppose, in theory, see a, a flow of demand to um, to to those peripheral banks. And uh, James, in the price action um, for financial stocks this week, we've seen um, that exact. Uh, theme That's uh, playing out, right? Yeah, so the big banks getting a severe touch-up and yeah. the smaller guys uh, having a pretty good week. Well, you know, as as Darren Hinch is now investigating, uh, look, the banks were getting a bit of a touch-up before it was actually announced uh, that, that, uh, that they were going to be getting a hefty tax. In, a, in an era, but post the tax, when it was actually became to, to, to light, what was actually going to hit them, um, you know, obviously... Take, for example, I don't like mentioning just single stock names, but obviously, you know, your regional banks uh, got a bit of love, whereas uh, your big four in Macquarie uh, did get a bit of a touch-up on that one. And in an era when it is so easy to move your mortgage, um, when you can so easily see what the rates are for the competitors, um, you'd look at switching from one of the big four, especially if you know that it's about to be passed on, when it's so competitive why not to switch? It's a piece of cake to do. And and that's probably what investors were seeing on this one. As I said, either consumers will leave the big four banks if if it's easier and cheaper to move to to a regional. And super funds that, you know, the, they, they love these big four banks. The regionals pay the same dividend, um, but they are trading cheaper mm. than, than the big four. So take your big super funds and take your little super funds. doesn't matter if they're actually invested in these big banks. Potentially they might look about diversifying over into the regionals that are trading at a much cheaper uh, cheaper level. Um, one of the other uh, issues that's in the this overall package uh, is this increased uh, this new regime of uh, for increased executive accountability. So directors and senior executives having to register. Uh, pretty extraordinary step, um, to be honest. Um, uh, regulators getting new powers. Um, to obviously deregister. When the revolution uh, comes, it's going to make it a lot easier to find where the bank executives live. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they, they, uh, so um, just looking at some of the um, the specific provisions, so um, bonuses um, or sort of non-cash payments need to be deferred for four years. Um, and uh, they can be removed as well uh, if it emerges that there was untoward conduct uh, in, engaged in um, by the executives. And I think one of the other things is, so obviously you have culturally you're going to have this higher level of accountability. I think the other thing that it does to the banking sector is um, possibly creates a bit of a recruitment problem for them. Even if you're you know, completely rigid age, sort of very ethical young professional and you're thinking about what your career path, you know, just thinking about the fact that if you get to the top of the game in banking, that you're going to have to be on some sort of government register and there's going to be all of this compliance hanging over you, etc. Uh, I mean, look, there's heavy amounts of compliance already, but there's just an extra level. Um, I mean, it might be the kind of thing that you might have that might give you second thoughts, Michael. Uh, yeah, potentially. But I think to, to counter that as well, I think um, if, if they're asked um, the, the banks who are concerned about um, this level of oversight and uh, increased regulatory backdrops. I think um, if the consumer is ultimately happy with what the coalition is proposing, then that will be ultimately reflected in uh, you know the motivations of the consumer to use that bank, to invest in that bank. And it's more of a, uh, a consumer protection piece and an oversight piece. So it, it will reflect ultimately in the valuation um, longer term. So I, I can, again, I... Um, there is an acknowledgement, I suppose, that um, 
from a, a career perspective and from a, a people and culture perspective that the people who are renting these organisations, that might be a sticking point. But I think uh, if you are in executive level now, um, if you are in those leadership positions um, and if you are obviously doing the right things, then I suppose you'd, uh, you'd be more willing to welcome some of those proposals. Yeah. Um, uh, James, uh, what do you think about the impact that this might have on, on banking culture? Uh, banking culture is already a very mixed bag of it, it varies anywhere between toxic and a little bit less toxic sometimes so, uh, with, mm. with things that you're talking about regardless of what's put on the posters. Um, it, it makes it difficult for places that are a little bit ordinary to hire top quality executives and top quality executives are what actually directs a bank to, to, to be better, to do better, to do better things. So I think that... Uh, it, it, it's look. I don't like a register of anything to, to tell you the truth on this, but I think that the government had to bring this in just so that they could do the other tax and, and just show them. And for the same reason they gave APRA, uh, you know, a, a whole bag more cash. Mm. In that, look, we're going to bring this in. We're actually going to make it a lot harder for you to hide money, move money, and 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 do any shifty things. It's like, like you said in your article after after the um, after it was delivered. You know, it's a strong signal to the banks that they're. You know, they're in a new environment of accountability. Getting clever is not going to be taken lightly. Yeah, that was you know that was you the other day. You're going to have uh, ASIC conducting this mortgage pricing inquiry over the next 12 months. Um, so there will be this oversight on what's happening to mortgage prices. Some talk about something like a 14 basis point increase would be necessary uh, across the mortgage book if they're going to defend their margins. Right um, now, fourteen basis points at a time when consumer uh, sector is already looking a bit soft. We're going to talk about retail sales in a little bit. Right there in the retail sales. Yeah. That's right. H- household balance sheets already um, a little bit stretched. So if it is passed on to the consumer, um, there could be consequences for the wider economy. Um, we're like we're talking billions and billions of dollars here. That um, uh, these small uh, increases that we've seen. Um, over the last few months um, uh, have the potential to, to suck billions of dollars out of um, consumer spending uh, across the economy. So this uh, ASIC mortgage pricing inquiry and that oversight uh, into how they're pricing up their loans, I suppose the intention is, you'd imagine, that they're going to try and avoid them, uh, avoid the banks um, slugging the, the consumer uh, too much. Okay, so I just want to look at the overall budget. Um, uh, my favourite number, and I think this is the most spectacular number in the in the budget, is wage price index, wages growth at three point seven five percent in twenty twenty one. I cannot wait until my wage grows by that amount at that particular time. Scott Morrison is genuine when he says there are better days ahead. Um, awesome. <laughs> is that just the government sector, specifically the, our, federal, our you know, federal parliamentarians? Because well, it's pretty accurate to do that. Well, well, everyone else. well look, maybe if, um, if private sector wages stay at around 2%, um, the government can, um, you know, MPs can vote themselves a you know, nice, healthy 6 or 7% to try and balance it out. Um, Michael, do you think uh, this is um, realistic? Uh, no, I don't. No, I think. <laughs> Go. Yes, just, just to be completely just tell, us, tell us what you really yeah, think. No, no, I mean, um, we've, got, um, we've got CPI underlying at the moment at 2.5%. We've got existing wage growth at 2.5%. So that metric is almost going to need to double over the course of four years. Um, I'm a little bit sceptical as well that a lot of those other headline metrics being unemployment as well as CPI, they're not necessarily um, painting the most accurate of pictures. Um, I mean, if you're... 
um, looking to deliver um, you know, wage growth, you obviously need more people employed and you need those people to be uh, essentially earning more every single year. Um, and when I talk about things like them not, I suppose, disclosing a complete picture, um, we all um, have read now the well-documented concerns over youth unemployment, around unemployment, uh, particularly uh, amid uh, mature professionals. Um, and the fact, again, that, that numbers like our, um, our headline CPI, they don't include things like housing affordability and they don't include things like a 6% increase um, in, uh, in petrol and household costs over, over that same measurable period. So there are lots of little anomalies in those headline rates. Um, obviously, we're pledging things like surplus in four years' time off the back of a metric of three and a half, sorry, 3.75% in uh, in, in that window, so um, it's it's going to be a challenge at the at the very least of all assumptions. Absolutely, uh, James. Unemployment, they say it's steadily um, not getting down to five quite, but um, five and a quarter. Um, yeah, it sounds fair. Yeah, um, yeah which is five, five and a quarter, five two five. Yeah, here and there, it's good. Do, do you think that that level of tightening in the labour market is sufficient to drive wage prices, um, the wage price index, up to that level? Though, I think it's I think it's about what. Australians do that actually you know people want around the world mm. when when was the last time I mean I don't know I'm going back I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on you guys when was the last time that we had wage growth yeah yeah um, it's been know. falling for years yeah. Yeah. yeah so what what what's the cause of the wage is, is it an, is it the unemployment rate or is it yes, actually just, us creating something that that, that that people actually want to get I, I yeah, like I'm, yeah. I'm legitimately asking what it is that that that, that drives this and if they think that they're gonna fix it it's you know what? Okay, because I'm I'm not I'm not a macroeconomic guy. But look look at the oil. Take the oil price. Okay, what's driving the oil price at the moment? Is it production cuts or is it actual demand? And if you think that if you think that we can do a hundred dollar oil hundred dollar per barrel oil again through production cuts, you're dreaming. You're dreaming, right? It's it's going to come from you need another China. So okay, same story, probably a little bit different, but. You know, I like to put these things in a, in a relative context. If you think that you can, if you can grow wage growth through, you know, tightening or weakening of the unemployment rate, then I think that potentially you're dreaming as well. We've, you know, to, to, to have proper growth and proper wage growth, we actually need to be producing something that the rest of the world wants. Yeah. Sorry. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's. I think it's really. Uh, I think it's a really important point. Um, one of the themes uh, in Morrison's budget is kind of looking after Australians to some extent. This sort of protectionist theme that we're starting to see, you know, in the uh, Trump-Brexit era, and we had Labour with that um, uh, ad about, you know, uh, jobs for Australians first. Oh, uh, gee, what know, was that? Uh, I can't believe that they rolled out that ad. and it. Um, Who let that go through? Yeah, yeah, just basically white people, jobs for white people. Um, <laughs> uh, but but, um, but in the Treasurer's speech, um, he said, you know, let me just read a quote from the start of the speech, right? So not all Australians have shared in the hard-won growth um, that, um, that, that Australia's seen. Many re re remain frustrated at not getting ahead. This is especially true in areas where technological change, globalization, and the end of the mining investment boom has had a significant impact. Um, he also notes that it's been a fair while since most hardworking Australians have, have had a decent pay rise. 
um, and this has put real pressure on Australians and on their family terribly. This has meant some families have even broken apart. So he's setting the scene here for, you know, the social strain um, that we've seen as the mining, as the economy has gone through this transition following the end of the mining boom. Um, uh, Michael, we met because we were sitting on a panel um, the day after the budget um, with zero. And one of the th themes in that, I think, that came through very strongly was that there are forces out there um, that are not going away. They're mounting, right? So one of those on in the labor market side is um, the ability to outsource uh, all sorts of labor now and through um, online platforms and also through, you know, cloud technology enabling um, sharing of data and um, content and, and workflows. Um, so, you know, this is um, obviously, you know, a significant challenge and it's not going away. Um, the, how do you see the budget as a policy document that's, um, you know, sits in an environment where we've got all of these global challenges that aren't, um, that, you know, that are going to remain for um, as far as the eye can see? I don't think the, the budget's done a, a fantastic job in um, necessarily identifying some of those concerns. I think there are some key shortcomings there. I think um, fundamentally economics will always teach us that resources will flow to where they are most competitive. And I suppose in the labour market and specifically, again, for small businesses, they're going to flow to where they're cheapest and to where the quality uh, is also aligned to the cost of them. Um, so I suppose there's, there's some real concerns here within Australia that that's not necessarily happening. Uh, sorry, happening. Uh, you know, there are also some, um, well, there are some evidence to suggest that um, I suppose the trends still are favouring um, not just the traditional uh, cheap manufacturing bases, which were evidenced in, uh, in Southeast Asia, but uh, a lot of companies here are starting to outsource uh, recruitment, software development, uh, obviously, website designs, a, a lot of technical services now, um, you know, they seem to be outsourced uh, through uh, through to a, a global uh, labour market, if you like. So um, it, it ultimately comes down to um, this legacy um, this legacy economy, which has kind of been left over off the back of the commodities boom, in that uh, Australia was so profitable for so long because we basically produced something which uh, the, the, the West of the world wanted, that the rest of the world loved. Um, and at the, the end of the day, um, either we need to piggyback off uh, the back of some of those flows globally, uh, identify you know the growth hubs in other economies and try to replicate that here. Um, or I suppose on the other end of the equation, we need to be uh, uniquely original um, in uh, in the things which we are producing ourselves and, and again, hope that the rest of the world follows. So um, I don't think the budget specifically is harvesting um, in identifying those next growth uh, pieces. And again, that's probably identified in the types of spending which has been delivered. Again, when we look at uh, energy, uh, transport, um, roads, healthcare, uh, these are very much... Um, uh, again, I, w I probably wouldn't use the word leg um, legacy, but they are very old school investments. Uh, they do harvest manufacturing, construction, building. They're labour intensive. Um, what type of future proofing does that do kind of deliver beyond their construction? Um, and I suppose what uh, what revenue and what incentive does that create for the rest of the world to, to come in here and piggyback off, off the back of those spends? Absolutely, James. It's been a really uh, amazing about face in terms of overall political tone from innovative and agile uh, last year um, to, um, to what, we've, what we saw on Tuesday. Go back further. After the coalition was first elected, Tony Abbott 
Well, it was, what was the first budget? It was a budget, budget emergency? Yes, yeah. It was yeah. a budget in crisis, yeah, yeah. and then it was budget repair, ideas, ideas boom, jobs yeah. and growth, and now this is potentially the best Labor budget that's ever been handed down. <laughs> um, how, how much further from emergency disaster to... Uh, you know, love everyone and everyone's happy. Uh, uh, look, they're, they're moving further to the left. Yeah. There is zero doubt about that. I have no doubt in my mind that they are moving further to the left. Yeah. Um, look, uh, absolutely. And the, the other thing is, um, here's the thing, what they were doing wasn't working. No. No. It's been one It's been one weird scheme after another about what this budget is going to be. It looks like, and I don't want to, uh, you know, they've actually handed down something that seems fairly sensible that people are for the most part on board with that they're actually going to be able to pass through both houses without much tweaking or much negotiation or debate or scandal maybe they've got it right this time yeah i i think you know people accused turnbull for a, a, a long time of being a do-nothing uh, prime minister but i think if you look back over the last two months what have we seen recast the conversation on debt and deficit entirely um, with this good debt and bad debt. Change the narrative, yeah, uh, important, important. So that um, they tackled uh, health reform, lifted the Medicare uh, rebate freeze, rolled out Gonski spending. Yeah. Um, I can't believe that the Catholic schools, you know, somebody always goes nuts whenever, whenever you, hey, here's $22 billion and somebody's going bananas about it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a negotiation here, surely, um, that we can get through. Anyway, so um, healthcare, education, uh, infrastructure spending, uh, and then this um, cataclysmic uh, uh, assault on the banks that we saw on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, sure. Look, it looks very labour, but to me, um, to my mind, when I when I think about how poorly and how little traction uh, the coalition had been getting with the electorate over the last um, uh, year or so, um, you know. Got to try something different. That's and 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 they are, and not that it's been a a difficult message to manage, but they have been managing the message on the banks very well over the last couple of days. Um, they're an unpopular target. Uh, well, sorry, they're a popular target, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like a football, you know, easy to kick. Um, you know, yeah. uh, it doesn't come back at you. Yeah, and then it's a hot potato as soon as someone catches it. But yeah, yeah they, they've actually been managing this message quite well. Um, it's been a clear sort of directive. Maybe they've actually figured out how to do a budget. A couple of years in, Michael. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Scott, Scott Morrison started his address with Lisa Sales uh, the other night by saying, you know, in essence, acknowledging that this is a um, a Labor government handed down by a Liberal coalition paid for being the key difference. Um, so I, I suppose we we can talk about how it's been funded or that we, or that we like, but at the end of the day it has been funded. Um, and, yes, it is uh, conventional. Um, and, again, another... Um, Little analogy that I did like was the fact that you know leading into this um, budget, um, Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull, um, you know they, they were deemed to be working uh, walking a political tightrope. But at the end of the day, they've taken from the right and and uh, and delivered to the left. Um, one of the, one of the important parts of this uh, of the budget um, in terms of their projections. Uh, and in terms of how this is going to play out, and I think this got, this speaks to how uh, well received the budget will be, because um, consumer confidence is very important for um, underpinning uh, consumption growth, right? So people being happy to spend, basically. Um, James, the last couple of months, we have seen some very bad news on the retail side, haven't we? Good segue, Paul. Thank Funny you. you mentioned that because we had some retail sales figures delivered just recently. Did we have, now? You may have heard about them. You may know about them. Uh, now let's go through some stats. Let's go through the actual facts. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go through this. So they fell for the second straight month uh, in March. 
uh, sliding by 0.1% in seasonally adjusted terms. Not only did retail sales fall again, they missed the consensus forecast of 0.3% growth by a wide margin. I'm not entirely sure how consensus was at 0.3 after a few misses, but uh, look, we they're saying that it was Cyclone Debbie. I have two theories. It's It's one or the other or a combination of both. The first is that we are the most indebted country in the world at a personal level. Uh, people's mortgages are high. People's mortgages are high because Australian property is so expensive and we can get into so much debt, um, you know, just because this is where we are. Not, don't go into those reasons. The second reason is why retail sales is down is because the most publicised event of 2016 that uh, Amazon is, is launching and everyone is going to be able to get cheaper stuff very easily and very quickly, uh, very soon. Uh, and people are putting off their retail purchases. Take you know, take your pick of what your retail purchases would be: TVs, fridges, well, maybe not fridges, but VCRs, electronic goods, just retail stuff. Stuff you're putting it off until Amazon hits because you know what? If I get a TV now or if I get a TV in September, it's not really going to matter that much. I, yeah. I'd rather wait and get it then. And or it's a combination of both. More likely, it's going to be a combination of both, in my view. Michael, does um, the, this trend that we're seeing, you know, we don't. A couple of bad uh, data points aren't um, necessarily the establishment of a real trend, but how concerned are you by the weak data we've seen? Uh, yeah, I think uh, my concerns probably uh, stretch a little bit deeper than the reads over the course of the last two months. I mean, there's been a fair bit of hysteria around that the, the numbers over the course of um, obviously March and April are, are borderline recessionary, and I probably wouldn't disagree with that um, mm-hmm. that viewpoint. Um, I mean, we've seen credit growth of of seven and a half percent, and wage growth only of two and a half percent. So I think um, I, I think the, the the fact that households aren't spending it's probably more closely lied to that the the, the level um, and also the nature of of some of those household debts. Um, at the end of the day, um, we've still got business confidence, which is supposedly sitting at a 10-year high. That was also revealed on uh, on Monday. So we are still seeing some mixed max- macro prints out there, but specifically to retail sales, um, without a doubt, I-, I think that the presence of, of the Amazons of this world uh, are further going to weaken this sector. Um, and not only that... Um, if we have uh, a low interest rate base of 1.5% and people aren't spending money at that level, um, you, you kind of need to sit back and question what's going to happen when uh, when interest rates start heading north. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, disparity between what we're seeing in retail sales growth and uh, what we're seeing in the business confidence and conditions uh, reading in the NAB business survey, pretty extraordinary. Um, and for me, the con- my conclusion with that, looking at it, is that this is about the disinflationary forces. So there might be plenty of activity uh, in the retail sector, a lot of um, stuff moving around, um, and um, there might be sales, but you know, plenty of sales happening. But the prices and the margins um, are um, getting, cr- you know, really getting crushed. Yeah, like what we're saying. I mean, uh, the, the, the Harvey Norman. I mean, not to go into that stock specifically, but. Harvey Norman's next strategy against Amazon is most probably going to be to drop all of their prices and dump all of their stuff onto the market. So that'll be great for sales for them. So there will be stuff and there will be stuff sold, um, but they're not going to be making anything out of it. And that's probably going to be the last thing that they do. You know, I, I read a fascinating story um, uh, this week about uh, one of the things that Amazon done. And I had no, no idea about this, but retailers have bots. 
uh, that go and crawl uh, different websites, like competitor websites. Um, they're out there and for their prices. So they go and they um, look through the, the, the products and they um, pick up the price. and then scrape, obviously scrape, scrape data off websites and things like that. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it helps inform their own pricing strategy. For, that was for, First of all, I had no idea that that was going on. I was like, oh, well, that's actually really cool and really smart. Yeah. Um, and it, it, in fact, some of them, um, because uh, some retailers try to block those bots, um, some other competitors have um, these products where the bot behaves like a human. So it goes and browses on a page, hovers over something uh, for a short amount of time and then goes on and scrapes the price, right? Now, Amazon has figured out a way to stop these bots for, of, of competitors from reading its prices. Um, so what you get is this uh, incredible information. You know, the ha- uh, competitors then have to start making decisions in a price, uh, like in, a, in, in an information vacuum. Amazing, yeah. as somebody said when they put it on. I think I was on Facebook. I saw it, but you know, don't pick a fight with Amazon. Any, you know me. I've been talking about Amazon now for about the last twelve months. Any Amazon story, a always interests me. B never surprises me on what they're capable of what they're doing, what you don't know they're doing, and as soon as you do know it, you're just like, wow, that's that's as if a very smart group of people who were given a whole lot of money and a whole lot of leeway and nobody got in their way, uh, as if, you know, the the, the, the the dorky kids that were, you know, given wedgies coming in through school, as if all of a sudden they were given a whole lot of money and a whole lot of power and nobody was allowed to stand in their way, and these are now the coolest kids on the block and I love an Amazon story. That is that is so classic. But you're right. Retailers probably don't actually know what their stuff is really worth at, at any level from what they're actually going to be able to sell it from. Everyone's just been trying to race to the bottom or, or, or race on the upwards. Amazon changes the game once again. Yeah. Disruptive. And, and, and you know, um, Business Insider in the US has been running these great stories about the retail apolo- apocalypse, you know. Um, Shopageddon or whatever you want to call it, right? And yep. um, the Amazon graveyard of name name them Sears, JC Penney. Yeah. Um, take your pick. How many how many retailers in America? It just shops closed because empty malls. Yeah. So if if what two months? How many months? Two consecutive negative retail sales figures. That's nothing compared to what could potentially be ahead. Mm. I mean, yeah. There's questions being floating around. I mean, are Amazon going so well because they're actually going well, or is it because retailers are just closing around around them and they're just basically filling that space? So why not um, both? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly going to be fascinating. So um, there's definitely two data points to watch on a month-by-month basis um, as we go through here. Um, one is obviously the employment numbers, um, so we can keep an eye on the, the, how that the slack, this slack in the labour market, which is a bit of a challenge for all those inflation figures, wage price growth, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's one. Um, and then uh, clearly the retail sales data um, suddenly got a whole lot more interesting, which makes uh, me very excited uh, because um, I've always liked the retail sales data. Actually, just looking into the details of that retail sales data report, the stuff that was down heavily was all in the discretionary side. It was all like... Um, cafes, restaurants, and takeaways, and um, you know a bit of homewares and stuff that you know, like where's clothing and footwear, small things. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. yeah. The things you need uh, yep. uh, were were kind of okay. Yep. So you got a very clear signal here that people are like, well, look, the stuff that I I don't need, the little extra uh, trappings that I've been treating myself to, nah, gone. You know, okay. Well, I can throw a thing out there. Okay, so we've had 
So we've don't worry about the budget. Worry about uh, you know housing where it is. Retail sales bad. Um, does anyone see any reason why the RBA would be raising rates at any time in the next foreseeable future? Michael, I know this is sort of more more your. Uh, no, it, it's extremely hard to imagine that environment. Uh, and I think um, given specifically the linkages now to the household budget, the stresses that they're already under, the fact that uh, prices uh, within uh, the property sector at such elevated levels, I think they've almost lost um, the ability to, to use interest rate settings now as a lever. I think there's even if there were some underlying price pressures, there's still going to be that reluctance to, to, uh, to raise rates. I think they're just going to come again, increasingly conservative in, in using that um, yeah. as, a, as a policy response. We're factoring, obviously, because we run you know more of a, a, a globally-themed fund uh, that we do. We're factoring that, that Aussie rates and probably the Aussie dollar, therefore, as a result, uh, the Aussie dollar probably won't be um, increasing anytime soon, and, and we're happy to own happy to own foreign currencies uh, because of that and so factor that into the into the investment decisions that you make and that's everything that we do yeah absolutely and i think what was really interesting is you almost never see the australian dollar uh, fall on or move on the retail sales data it got absolutely uh, it smashed got caned, um yeah. this this time because um you know obviously people are looking at this and going hey hang on a second this is uh, looks like a trouble uh, like a troublesome yeah so, um, so iron ore has been beaten up mm. and retail sales are down housing is ready to bubble Where's the upside in the Aussie dollar yeah, at the moment? Yeah. Um, I think uh, one thing that was in the budget papers, um, I've got to just research this post and just and get it all buttoned up, but one thing that was in the um, the budget papers was uh, that a short uh, over the, if there's an immediate contraction of the free on board iron ore price to $55 a tonne, that'll strip about uh, $300 million out of the federal budget. So, um, <laughs> uh, so we're, That's and, a not and, insignificant number. Yeah, when I looked today, uh, iron ore futures were down. It was getting absolutely caned again, um, something like 3 4%. Um, so uh, that's going to be another one to watch. Um, okay, uh, just very quickly, Rugby World Cup draw. Um, uh, how about this? Um, Pool D, Australia, Wales, Georgia. Um, and then probably one of the um, the Pacific Island nations and uh, one of the American uh, South American teams, the Americas. Um, sorry, probably the USA. Um, pool C: England, France, Argentina. Uh, pool B: New Zealand, South Africa, and Italy. And bless their cotton socks in Pool A: Ireland, Scotland, and Japan. I'd be in that group. I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but um, ha, uh, w what do you think of um, Australia's draw? Wales. Yeah, Wales is probably normal. You have to refresh me. Is it the is it the, is the top of the pool or is it the top two which go top two. through? Top, top two. two. I, I think yeah, Pool D is the top of the bunch. I think it'll be standout Australia and Wales fighting for. Uh, Fighting for supremacy. Yeah, absolutely. Argentina, definitely a chance uh, to go through. Um, they can beat anybody on their day. Um, and I think, um, you know, um, Italy, you know, have a, you know, South Africa and New Zealand, those poor guys, um, you know, the, the, whoever will be, probably Namibia uh, coming into play, um, you know. First of all, you got to play Italy. Then you got to play South Africa. Then you got to play South Africa. Aren't the what they used to be. In, in, in World Cup terms, I mean, South Africa aren't really what they were back in the day. They got beaten by Japan at the last at the last World Cup. That's right. Uh, a phenomenal win by the Cherry Blossoms, who's my my secret, you know, my secret favourite team. 
so you know, but but yeah, New Zealand South Africa group stage, a group match. Hopefully, it's the last one of the group before they uh, before they go through to the finals. That could be something. That's that's one of the biggest rivalries that there is in rugby. Uh, that, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that pool C though. Um, Argentina, the Pumas, the Pumas love World Cup, uh, World Cup time, and they, and they really play well. France know how to play well. England are, you know, arguably the best team at the moment. Uh, gee, uh, I feel sorry for the. Well, it's probably just going to be what USA or Canada um, and Oceania too. I'm mm. not entirely sure who that uh, they could possibly go. Yeah, probably a Samoa or Tonga. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, okay, you've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Uh, guests this week uh, have been James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. James? Thank you, Paul. Always great. And uh, looking forward to David Scott. He's been away too long. Looking forward to him coming back and giving his in- incredible input to the Business Insider team. That's right, and uh, and and uh, getting his dulcet tones back on the on the podcast too. Uh, our, our other guest has been Michael George, Head of Corporate Dealing at uh, OFX. Michael, great having you on the show, um, and thanks for the chat. Thank you, Paul. Enjoyed myself. You can find us on iTunes, where you can rate us and leave us a review. We're on the web at businessinsider.com.au, or we're on Twitter at B-I-A-U-S. I'm Paul Colgan, and we will catch you next time. podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.